This summer, we're bringing you double Koi gig. She didn't even have to break stride. It was absolutely sublime. Yeah, I mean, just we watching it on repeat, yeah. like just yeah. over and over again. <laughs> yeah, and it's rightfully getting the attention it deserves. Subscribe to the OTB Koi gig pod on the OTB Sports app now. Now, day three of the US Open and the big names have been tumbling like anybody's business over the last few days. Naomi Osaka, Emma Raducanu, Simona Halep, Stefanos Tsitsipas are just some of those to have gone by the wayside in the first two days of play at Flushing Meadows to look at what has been an eventful US Open so far is Caitlin Thompson of Racket Magazine. Caitlin, welcome back to the show. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. It's uh, It's been busy, I'd imagine, for the likes of yourself uh, trying to cover this for the last couple of days because there's been so many plots and subplots and stories to try and tease out and we'll try and get to as many of them as we can here. I, I want to start with the two-time former champion, Naomi Osaka, because uh, this seemed like it was going to be the ample opportunity for her after, you know... Uh, missing Wimbledon earlier on in the year and having her troubles essentially with uh, with mental health issues and with her form. This seemed to be the ample occasion for her to make a statement and return to the scene of her greatest triumphs so far and she couldn't have asked for a worst, well, possibly, but she couldn't have asked for a worst opening round match against Danielle Collins given the form she's been in this year. You know, it's interesting. Danielle Collins uh, has a great uh, resume, certainly not somebody you want to face in the first round of a slam under any circumstances. Let's not forget she made the finals of this year's Australian Open. Um, she has not had a great summer, actually. So I think a lot of us who are watching Naomi's struggles, really, honestly, for the last two years now, not only not playing up to what we know she's capable of, but looking like she's having a pretty terrible time doing it, um, we're sort of nervous about which one of these two very capable, very dynamic, very amazing players would show up tonight. Uh, and would it be both or neither? I think, honestly, we got both. Uh, they both played pretty well. Um, Danielle, obviously, having an exceptionally good evening, um, hitting the ball as well as I've seen her do. Um, but for Naomi Osaka, who's really had, um, you know, I think her, her game in the doldrums for the last long time, shouldn't hang her head too too hard about losing to a Grand Slam finalist uh, in Danielle Collins. But, you know, we have to remember, Naomi Osaka wasn't the one who was seeded in that matchup. Yeah. Danielle Collins was. So I think, frankly, uh, Naomi Osaka was lucky to play as well as she did uh, for a lot of us who were not really expecting that much given her recent form. Yeah, that lack of seeding is really indicative of what her last 18 months has been like essentially since since winning the US Open, or sorry, not winning the US Open, winning the Australian Open last year, which seems like forever ago. It was just the start of last year and already it seems like a couple of lifetimes, which can happen, I guess, in women's tennis when you have the likes of Iga Svantec rising from, from nowhere. But like when you say that she looks like or has looked like in the last while that she doesn't want to be there and that kind of slump is very difficult to get out of especially when you can't have the traction or don't have the traction of just winning matches just routinely getting through to quarterfinals semifinals even finals in the tournaments that maybe not many that not that many people are paying attention to it just seems like she needs that run and that run just doesn't seem to come you know honestly i mean i'm not a psychologist as much as i enjoy playing one on you know my own podcast and with my friends but the truth of the matter is i think um, you know, she's spoken at length about having mental health issues, about having anxiety, about this, that, and the other. Um, we have no reason to doubt her. The truth of it is she's deeply unhappy. Uh, it's very obvious uh, for her own sanity and uh, for those around her. I hope that they do right by her and just sit her down. She doesn't need to be out there 
we've seen that she's the world beating talent that everybody knows she can be at her heights. But that height, as you noted, hasn't been achieved at all, not even close since the, uh, you know, Australian Open of a year and a half ago. So yeah. really, for, for what? You're, you've already got all the money. You've already got all the fame you need. Uh, she's the highest endorsed female athlete in the world. Um, but it doesn't seem to be bringing her much peace or, um, you know, happiness. And so for me, when I heard her say after last year's U.S. Open, when she crashed out really early, that she wanted to take a, little, a break from tennis for a while, I think she meant it. And I honestly think that it was probably sponsor commitments and a very overzealous uh, schedule and obligations that didn't let her do that. And so I really hope seeing somebody who obviously does not take joy in the experience of being there, uh, figure out how to, how to take to something else, even if that means uh, time away. It can be a very difficult thing to kick back into. I remember listening to Simona Halep at Wimbledon when she was talking about how it just became a, a chance meeting with her coach and that basically reinvigorated her love for the game. And those, you're depending on happenstance almost for your natural talents to be given its best platform, really. I think you're you're onto something. I think also with Naomi, um, people who follow the tour very closely, um, and I don't assume that's that many people, but pe for people who do, she actually had a very indicative tweet uh, deleted quickly, right. but up long enough to cause a huge stir in the tennis world, which was basically said she wishes she had been born rich so she didn't have to pay for everyone else's lifestyle. I'm paraphrasing, and you can go and find screenshots of this tweet on the internet if you'd like. Um, but to me, that was probably one of the more insightful and uh, explanatory looks into what some of these people who are phenoms from a young age, the meal ticket for a whole lot of people around them uh, who might not have their best interests at heart um, and that pressure and that obligation, while it certainly comes from outside, especially when you sign deal after deal after deal and appear in ad after ad after ad, but also from your own closest family who's who's relying on you to to pay the bills it's tough and i think i i think as much of it is up to chance as it is to education when i look at the players who are really well adjusted when i look at the players who seem to be happy who still obviously go through the highest of highs the lowest of lows injuries personal triumphs that we never see uh you know very public meltdowns that all of us see mm. um the ones who can handle it the best are the ones who are the sort of more complete human beings who kind of put it into the context of this is an amazing thing that i get to do that i can do that a lot of people wish they could do uh and i can do it at this amazing level but also it's only a part of who i am it's a part of my life and um looking at naomi osaka in the last really year and a half, not only last night, but really long time. It's, it's, I don't know that we've ever met that person and it makes me super sad for her because I don't think tennis needs her enough to make it come at this great personal expense. Yeah, it's it's a really weird paradox. I remember <clears throat> recently I was reading that book, the, the Dirtiest Race in History, about the rivalry between Carl Lewis and Ben Johnson. And in many ways, herself and Johnson kind of share similar traits in that they're both natural introverts, I guess. And during the course of their rise to stardom and prominence, I don't know if it's a, a manner of insulating yourself from the outside world that you have this circle grow around you or is it a combination of people attracted to you because of your celebrity or a mix of the two but you end up accumulating this mass around you and then look around and kind of decide that some of these people perhaps don't have your best interests at heart and then by that stage it's almost too late. Yeah, I mean I think if you look at the tennis history 
just as often it's the parents absconding with the money or steering their career or the agents or the coaches, you know, I think it's a shark tank in there. And I think one of the things that's really tough about tennis and actually sprinting, as you noted, is a really good ancillary, although Ben and Carl both benefited from being on teams at various stages in their career. Tennis players don't have that. You know, I think about players who really take a lot of meaning in being part of their country's uh, Billie Jean King Cup or Davis Cup team, or representing their country at the Olympics, or have some semblance maybe of a college career, like Danielle Collins did, uh, winning NCAAs um, as a student at the University of Virginia, and then turning pro, you know, they have some greater contextual understanding of what it's supposed to feel like to be around people who maybe are good for you versus people who aren't. And, you know, I don't want to cast aspersions, but it's hard not to think at this point um, that... You know, at a certain time, if you have all the money in the world, you got to use it to to figure out how to get yourself in a good place. And I think, you know, like I said, it has been very obvious what we're seeing with with Naomi Osaka isn't somebody in a slump, somebody who's maybe not playing their best, but, you know, enjoying the process, working their way back from something, you know, having the natural highs and lows, but rather somebody who doesn't look like they want to be doing what they're doing. And I think that's whether you're really, really great at something or not, it doesn't matter if you're, you don't want to be there. And it's pretty clear she doesn't. Yeah, it's, um, <clears throat> well, I guess we all want to see her back to her best because there's a hell of a player in there and somebody who at a, the young age that she did um, see off the likes of Serena Williams in Grand Slam final. I mean, that doesn't happen by accident. Um, I want to talk about Emma Raducanu as well, but we're talking about people who seem well adjusted she like for all of the false starts that have come I guess in the wake of last year's US Open win she does seem remarkably self-aware of her situation and that quote that she came out with last night after her uh, defeat to Alize Corne where she said that the target's off her back to a degree now and that she can concentrate on her being her own person I've often looked at Raducanu's career like that in the sense that did last year's US Open was a complete aberration compared to the rest of her career like getting to second round third round fourth round of Wimbledon uh, second rounds of slams otherwise that's probably generally her level it's just last year the stars aligned in a way part of that is true and I think part of it is actually indicative of the level she will eventually get to and I think uh, she for my money actually has one of the best games on tour she's a clean hitter she steps in she's unafraid to take the ball early and can direct traffic. She's also very smart as her absolute dismantling of Serena Williams under a very, very intense pressure cooker of an atmosphere earlier this summer in Cincinnati demonstrated to me. So I actually think maybe it was a bit of an aberration, like having a young, you know, streak uh, that, that comes out of the blue can sometimes be categorized, but rather, you know, the way I look at Emma Raducanu and I've loved the way that she's talked about her tennis, talked about, um, you know, her perspective and talked about having early success and needing to build on it in a way that actually was good for the long term, which is, you know, she has, I think, a good general understanding that this was really her first year on tour. She did not play a full schedule last year. She got to a pretty deep run at Wimbledon last uh, summer, falling to Isla Tomlanovich in what it amounted essentially to like a basically, a, as far as I can tell, a panic attack, just, yeah. you know, complete nerves being overwhelmed by the moment, which is completely normal and amazing um, that she even got that far and played that well, followed it up with a, with a U.S. Open run, had some pretty natural letdown after that slam finish, but actually spent most of the latter part of this year and this, this season building. I watched her play in D.C. I watched her play in Cincinnati. 
So I think it's less indicative of that being her level, Richie, okay. maybe, but more actually she's what you want to see. And I think maybe the healthiest way you can get here is that every year you get a little bit better and a little bit better because you're, you're accommodating and understanding and adjusting as you go to the level. But sometimes it doesn't happen that way and it's a little bit out of order. So I actually totally would not be surprised to see Emirata Kanu lifting another Grand Slam trophy or two, probably not for a little while. Her body still literally can't play a full schedule. It gets blisters. She's not, uh, uh, you know, accustomed. She's not to calloused. The, just the, the rigor. Yeah. yeah, she's not calloused in the literal, but also figurative sense um, of what it takes to be on the tour week in and week out. Losing to Alizé Cornet, who I think at one point had a winning head-to-head streak against Serena Williams, is no shade whatsoever alize cornet can play uh, at the top as level at the highest levels of the she's game beaten some uh, great players this year as well herself exactly yeah. so you know for me i love what i've heard from emma Raducanu. i think for me what i want to see is uh her working with a coach making sure the family knows to let her work with that coach who's going to be able to build stuff uh you know week in week out with her so that that kind of success uh keeps building on it on itself and i think that that you know, uh, I hope will come because what I've seen and heard from from her has demonstrated to me poise and maturity, and also that last year wasn't a fluke; it was just maybe a preview. Yeah, I mean, I remember seeing that interview the day after her uh, retiring against Tom Janovich. Like she did a one to one face face interview with Sue Barker, and like showed remarkable maturity of her situation even before the U.S. Open win to to know what had happened to be able to. Yeah, articulate to a national audience what she is going through. Like that was freakish, preternatural kind of uh, self knowledge. The coach situation with her is the interesting one. I think that a lot of people focus on because she has, you know, hopscotch between a few coaches in the last twelve months. Has there been some kind of outside interference in that, as you alluded to there, or is it just a case of she's just like naturally trying to find the right one? It could be, could be both. I mean, I think one thing that's really hard, especially when players are young is for their families often, especially when those families haven't come from sort of like tennis royalty. And I hate that term and it's gross. And the concept of tennis royalty is pretty gross too. Um, But there's some truth to it, which is, um, you know, there are certain systems set up to help certain types of people succeed at tennis. And when somebody comes from outside of that system, it's pretty exciting. You know, one of the reasons that I think Emma Raducanu was so impressive, as you just noted, talking to Sue Barker after that Wimbledon appearance last summer, is, you know, this kid was like acing her A-levels and headed to the, some of the highest, you know, uh, educational uh, institutions in the land, to my understanding, right? Yeah, so yeah. she's clearly a very well-rounded and thoughtful person. I also think from what I've seen, um, not only of her, but other young, especially women, um, there's a lot of trust issues that goes with bringing a kid to a certain level, especially if you're the parent, especially if you're outside of that power dynamic, and then letting the pros take over. I actually wrote a column specifically about this for Eurosport last year in the wake of Sophia Kennan ditching her dad, uh, Caroline Garcia ditching her dad, and now having some of the greatest results that Caroline Garcia has ever had. I think she won Cincinnati, what was it, 10 days ago? Mm-hmm. So I think there's a particularly interesting, going back to like Stefano Capriati, Jim Pierce, uh, with their daughters Jennifer and Mary, respectively, that speaks to the difficulty that it can be, especially with dads and daughters, uh, having, having a different coach in the mix. And so I don't know more than that, but from what I can tell, I think I would suspect that's probably where some stuff is going down. And, you know, again, I can imagine it's very hard as a parent to let somebody else steer after 
you've done a lot of the heavy lifting, but I also think, uh, you know, if Sophia Kennan's career at the moment is any indication, you know, sometimes that's just a dynamic that needs to be outgrown uh, and cut know, the umbilical cord, you know? It's understandable to a degree as well when you're talking about a 19-year-old, you know, who's still sure. barely out of school, uh, barely on the tour, and you're like, right. you've got so many people circling, essentially. And you, again, much like we talked about with Osaka, you have to decipher to go between the bad, and that's when you're flying blind, essentially, as your parents probably are. It's a difficult thing to do. Completely right. And I also think, you know, what we know about sexual predation of young women by men, usually in positions of power, you know, uh, agents who might have a great track record and a great history of looking out for their for their uh, charges or not. You know, I, I think like anything else, this is a very mixed scene behind the scenes of this pro sport. And unlike basketball or football or our football um which is way worse than your football, I should <laughs> You know, there's no rookie camp. There's no training ground. There's yeah. no there's no cohort of people who come in one year and say, hey, we're all in this together. We're all learning the ropes. Here's how to, you know, not spend all your money in the first month. Here's how to not, you know, uh, fall prey to some, like, really dumb scheme. Here's how to, you know, get fit and stay healthy. Here's how to eat well. You know, the whole thing. And I don't think that there's much of that in tennis because it's so individual. And so, you know, I, I think parents are probably right to be leery, but also it's very, very hard. Um, you know, I think for a coach to work with somebody and take them to the next level, if, if the parents are still involved and, you know, I think, I don't know specifically if that's what's happening with Emirata Kanu. I obviously hope it isn't, but seeing her work with uh, Dmitry Chersonov, who worked with Sabalenka most recently, uh, was really exciting, and I think everybody was sort of encouraged by the results because they they seemed to be a good uh, sort of alchemical co- combination. And yeah. so I think there's probably a really really good coach out there for her. And I think most of us um, who are really rooting for this kid hope she finds it. Um, at the other end of the age scale, I guess Serena Williams is um, she's loath to call this a farewell tour or a valedictory lap or whatever way you want to put it yourself. She's insistent on calling this an evolving uh, in her career. She obviously uh, won her first round match against Danka Kovinich the other night. Uh, a very tricky um, task tonight. I hadn't realised that Nick Contevite was as high as number two in the seedings this time round, but that is going to be difficult for her this evening. Sorry, who are we talking about? Uh, Serena. Oh, never, never heard. Never of her. heard of her. Yeah, she, never heard she, of her. She's an up and coming kid from Compton. You might want to look out for her. She sounds pretty exciting. Yeah. I, um, it is. I'm grateful to you that we have talked about not Serena up until this moment <laughs> because pretty much everybody only wants to talk about Serena, which I get. I mean, she's the greatest of all time. She, you know, she deserves all the accolades. She's pushed all of the the records, the boundaries, the the sports accepted limits beyond. Um, it does seem like tonight's task will be potentially beyond her grasp. I don't want to counter out. Nobody has ever had a good track record doing that against Serena Williams. Uh, and as we very, very well know, she is motivated by um, glamour, glitz, power, spite. You know, she's a powerful woman who doesn't, uh, you know, doesn't go out like a lamb. Um, that said, given her current fitness level and her current, you know, just match play experience, I think she's probably played a handful of, of matches total this year, whereas everyone else is, you know, in the in the 
30, 40 match yeah. range, maybe more. So it's just, you know, it is hard to imagine she climbs this mountain today. Annette Contevite hasn't been historically great in slams, but I would say probably the floor of her level is is quite higher than the ceiling of Serena's at this moment. That said, um, the crowd's going to try to get into it. They're going to try to make it a home uh, field advantage as they did uh, on Monday night with uh, Daria Kovanich. And, you know, I, I get why. I don't love that part of the sport, if I can be honest. I, I root for tennis when I watch tennis okay. almost all the time. Um, there's a there's a scenario in which Annette Kontovic just totally blanks and, and fails to meet the moment. Um, but if I'm her coach, I'm telling her to literally move Serena side to side, wait for her to get tired and make a mistake, and then collect my two and two you know, entry ticket into round three. So it's hard to imagine there's much of a fight that's going to happen. But, you know, again, the giant caveat with Serena is you can never, ever, ever count her out because you don't know truly what she's capable of. I mean, we've seen her capable of things that people couldn't fathom before, including winning a slam while pregnant. So, you know, uh, I think most of us are hoping this isn't the end, but it's hard to imagine it isn't. Yeah, when knocking off the ring rust and then seeing seeds falling in the first two rounds, you can you know understand why she'll probably <clears throat> fancy herself to go on this kind of Jimmy Connors run in the twilight of her career into the latter stages of the US Open. That's the, That was the one comparison that kept jumping to mind, was Connors in the early 90s getting as far as he did. And I don't know, this, as much as I want to go, yeah, I saw Wimbledon, she looked a bit rusty, and you know maybe this like Danka Covenish is a bit of a gimme in the first round, but... Yeah, I don't know. There's just something about this tournament and her where I can see her going deep into next week. And, you know, maybe I'm wrong. I mean, Richie, I think you probably articulated what 99.9% of the world, probably outside of Estonia, is tonight's match. So you're probably not the only one. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Aside from that as well, um, Rafa Nadal looks like he's in okay form, uh, judging by his first round appearance. Yeah, I mean, the guy barely has a foot. So Mm. I don't, you know, I don't ever count him as a no-brainer like we saw in Wimbledon you know injuries can take him down as they have in the past and he's um you know unfortunately had to pull the plug but uh as long as he can crawl this guy is going to try to compete which I think is unbelievably cool and um yeah I mean he didn't look great in his match last night uh I left the grounds as they just split sets and you know even if somebody can sneak a set against Rafa early you kind of have the the distinct impression that it's it's probably an inevitability before he kind of finds his form and and steamrolls you the rest of the day as he did last night but you know i think there is a really cool and for me delightful uh openness to this year's tournament um i have enjoyed that on the women's side for years i found the men's side very very boring because i truly truly could not care about the big three at all if i had to talk about the big three rafa is really the only one that i enjoy watching anymore to be honest Mm. um and that has nothing to do except just the fact that he's he's tenacious and i have had the radio treatment that he gets on his foot for hours every day and let me tell you it is literally one of the most painful things i've ever experienced and i have slipped discs and had sciatic nerve pain he gets this treatment every single day for hours of deeply intensive radio electric stimulation on his bones because he has a bone defect in his foot and this is basically the only way the inflammation will allow his foot to fit in a shoe so he can play even more hours of tennis so when i say this guy's a complete maniac you kind of can't overstate it um that said there are so many exciting amazing men in the draw and like the women's tournament is and has been for for the past couple of years it's really exciting because there's so many people who can win it um 
for people who care about things like uh, Grand Slam counts, you know, they'll be invested in Rafa's match uh, and where he ends up, you know, with his overall tallies. Uh, but but yeah, he doesn't look great. So I'm not saying that I think he's the favorite. Okay. It's one to watch. I'm sure we'll be speaking to you between now and the end of proceedings in Flushing Meadows. Caitlin Thompson, thanks so much for talking to us. Thank you so much.